Your service matters. Whether you're in the military or you're a journalist or you're a teacher or a fireman, first responder, it matters when you serve. It's about a purpose-driven life. People wanted to ask me how my, my child wants to be a catcher. What do I tell them? I say, catch every ball. And in life, isn't that the way it is? We all show some form of valor. Common people doing uncommon things. Loyalty, duty, honor, respect, selfless service, integrity, personal courage. They lay down everything to go to war for us so we can be free to sit here and talk this podcast. Why? Why did you do it? What impels you to put aside the instinct for self-preservation and risk your lives? It was faith and belief. It was loyalty and love, clear convictions and beliefs. It's important in a democracy for us to know that freedom isn't free. The Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation is exactly the right name for that foundation to inform the American public about the ideals and the virtues and the heroism of people like Bob Feller. Bob Feller, he said, my one piece of advice is read our Constitution and run your lives according to the Constitution. We swear an oath to a document that stands for freedom, makes this experiment that we call the United States of America. We are not perfect, but we hold the moral high ground. We are trying to, in the words of our founding document, in order to form a more perfect union. There are going to be some tough calls to make the world safer, better, to represent those values. We can continue to make this world a much, much better place. Welcome to the American Valor Podcast. This is Nathaniel Cameron and Tyler Buckholtz. On the American Valor Podcast, through the Bob Feller Foundation, we use the Bob Feller story to educate listeners on the lessons of citizenship, service to one's country, and personal sacrifice in times of great need. We're excited to release a conversation from May with Commanding Officer John Laney. A graduate of the United States Naval Academy, Commander Laney is the creator and owner of dodreads.com which is devoted to leadership development through a commitment to reading. This is a conversation about reading and its importance in leadership. The term XO refers to the title of executive officer. The executive officer is second in command and reports directly to the commanding officer. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, sir. Hey, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for reaching out and, uh, and having a good discussion. I'm always, always up for a good good discussion with other leaders and readers and lifelong learners. So what do you have? <laughs> That's awesome. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and what are you passionate about? Yeah. Th yeah. Thanks for asking. So a um, little bit of background on me. So I graduated uh, from the Naval Academy, hard to believe 20 years ago this month, uh, actually this month to the week uh, was, uh, was graduation. Wasn't the COVID graduation that uh, the Naval Academy had last week, but uh, yeah, we was, it was quite a, quite a graduation. So uh, when I graduated, I was uh, selected into a community that no longer exists anymore. There was the Special Operations Community. And the Special Operations Community uh, consisted of Navy divers, consisted of explosive ordnance disposal officers, and uh, ordnance management officers. So I uh, got, my, got my commission, uh, got shipped off to Japan, and spent a couple years uh, on board the USS Guardian, a minesweeper uh, based out of Sasebo, Japan. 
Uh, that was uh, that was where I cut my teeth on on all things Navy. Learned how to be a good naval officer, and uh, and and had my first Navy influence and experience uh, in Japan. Uh, then after that, uh, I went to uh, EOD school, Explosive Ordnance Disposal School, and then the rest of my career uh, just followed a series of Explosive Ordnance Disposal type commands. Uh, so um, I'm currently. Uh, the commanding officer of a, uh, of a mine clearance unit, uh, Mine Countermeasures Division 3-1. We're based out of San Diego, and we, uh, we clear mines from water space worldwide. So in the event of a conflict, uh, we would use helicopters, we'd use mine sweeping ships, and we would use mine, mine clearance divers to, uh, to go into those dangerous waters, clear the mines out, and make that area safe for shipping uh, and for uh, fishermen and for other merchant traffic. So you gave us a little bit about your military background. Could you tell us how you got into and founded DoD Reads? Yeah, well, that's a that's a that's a story. Uh, that's a story from a failure. So while I was the EXO, uh, while I was a, an EXO at, um, I believe, uh, well, while I was an EXO, um, hard to remember because I've been a seven year. Exo. I was an Exo four different times over seven years. So, so while I was in that Exo position, in order to become a commanding officer in the Navy, I think the Army's doing this too. But it's not. Um, they require you to go up in front of a board of other former commanding officers, um, sometimes admirals, sometimes captain, uh, pretty senior level folks. And the intent of the board is to get an eyes on you and say, hey is this individual the type of individual and is he ready, he or she ready to lead our nation's finest individuals? And so the board's about an hour long. And the very first question that I was asked on that board by kind of a pretty gruff guy named uh, Captain Vince Martinez, a mustache, a big guy, not, 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 not the friendliest, not the one you'd want to go to for a hug. And he said, all right, John, so what are you reading? Man, it's a tough question because I didn't have a very good answer for that. And I kind of danced around. I said, oh, well, you know, I've read some, read some news. Does that count? Uh, you know, read some, read some men's health articles. Uh, that good? Uh, you know, maybe some Navy instructions. Uh, how about that? Yeah, well, big, big failure right there on that question. And, you know, what he said really resonated with me. He said, listen, if you're going to lead our nation's finest EOD techs, sailors, whoever. If you're going to lead our nation's finest individuals, your learning cannot end after you graduate from school or cannot end after your graduate study or cannot end after your one-week military leadership class. Your learning has to go throughout your entire lifetime. And the way adults learn, not by sitting in class, is by reading. So if you want to be... if if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a, a, a true leader, you need, to learn, you need to continue to learn throughout your entire life. Done. All right. So left that board, kind of got beat up a little bit. It's like, okay, well, let's try this whole reading thing out. Let me, let me learn from that mistake. And a couple of weeks later, I had a drive from Washington, D.C. to San Diego for my next job. I'm like, all right, let's download some books. What do you know? So I download Fahrenheit 451, Ender's Game, some self-help books, Animal Farm. And holy cow, 
Like who knew? There's a lot of good information in books. Oh my goodness, you can really learn quite a bit out of some, out of fiction, nonfiction, self-help. Wow, there's some amazing stuff here. Like who, who knew? So um, through that lesson, through that, that, that failure, through that lesson, I figure, you know what? There's another Ensign Laney, Lieutenant J.G. Laney, Midshipman Laney. Who, who, there's, another, there's another John Laney to be out there who is, for whatever reason, is not reading, not professionally developing himself. And if I can catch that guy when he's a junior officer, when he's a junior individual in his, in his 20s, early 30s, if I can catch that guy, then he won't make the same mistake that I made being in my nearly 40s and then starting to pick up this reading habit. So that is the impetus for, for DOD reads, really the, with the intent of let's, let's, let's catch, that, catch that junior military professional early, get him reading so that he can be better equipped to lead our, our nation and our, our finest uh, sailors, airmen, Marines, and, uh, and Coast Guards. That's an empowering message that someone can influence their own learning and personal development. We can all search for areas where we'd like to learn more. When someone decides to start reading, how do they know where to start? Yeah, so I think I'll probably take a lesson from one of our great presidents, uh, Theodore Roosevelt. You know about the, if you don't know about him, he was a voracious, absolutely voracious reader. And you know what he would say? To just start anywhere, doesn't matter. He read um, he read Jane Austen, like the, like the Rough Rider, the, the Rough Rider president. Read Jane Austen. He would he would read something. He would say, oh, that's kind of interesting. Maybe I'll read Irish literature. Well, I read some Irish literature. Then, oh, where, well, that led him to the development of the potato. That's something about the development of the potato. Led him to, uh, to St. Patrick. Like, wh wherever your interest lies, read that and then just, and just follow that and just follow that thread. So um, whether it's fiction, whether it's high, high quality, fiction, nonfiction, wherever that lies, find something, but start reading. The other, the other thing that has just come online pretty recently is, well, what we're doing right now is long form discussions and long form podcasts. You know, it used to be with news, you give news, like, you know, you do a news interview and you maybe have a minute or two minutes, or maybe if you're just an exceptional person, they'll give you three or four or five minutes on CNN or Fox News or whatever. Well, through podcasts, you can have a long, in-depth, high-quality discussion with somebody. There's a whole sort of amazing podcasts out there that are pretty close, pretty close to the value that you get from reading. It's a really a one-on-one -on -one mentorship discussion. So I would find, find some books, find some podcasts that resonate with you, and then just follow that thread. Yeah, I know that's definitely the biggest thing for me is trying to find something that I actually enjoy reading. Uh, when I was younger, that was the, something I struggled with. And now podcasting's kind of taken um, the role of reading for me outside of whatever I'm assigned to read for school to get more information and learn. What are some of your favorite podcasts or uh, books? So I'd say Fahrenheit 451 has got to be got to be on top of it. And uh, for those that haven't read it, it's uh, the story of a dystopian future. And in this future, Firemen, instead of putting out fires in houses, they burn books. Why would they burn books, you wonder? Well, because the knowledge contained in the books might cause you to think a little bit. 
and causing you to think might cause you to change your mind. Changing your mind is pretty dangerous for a dystopian government. So don't want you to think, don't want you to change your mind. So instead, they just fill your minds up, they fill your mind up with entertainment and faxes and, and, and fax and Twitter, Facebook, like, like there's some real connections right there with, uh, with what we're experiencing now. So I think that's probably one to start with. Um, I've also enjoyed a guy named Jordan Peterson. Uh, and if you haven't heard of Jordan Peterson, he's, he's a philosopher, kind of a football coach philosopher. So he's a, he's a philosopher, but he, he, his, his, I don't know if his target is, but his message really resonates with young men. And his message is get better, be stronger, stop whining, pull your shoulders back, and, and bear as much load and as much burden as you can. And, that will, and, that, and through that, you'll find meaning and you'll become a better person. So I've really enjoyed listening to his uh, lectures, uh, his thought, just the way he thinks about things, and, uh, and, and Jordan Peterson. So probably those two are, are some good ones, to, good ones to start with. And then I've enjoyed listening to podcasts. Jordan Peterson or somebody else will interview somebody else Think, wow, I can, this guy's an interesting guy too. Then I'll go find his podcast or his YouTube channel or his long form discussion. And, uh, and that's just continuing to follow that thread. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned uh, I-451. My, my final paper in college was on the topic of over-reliance of technology. And I've referenced how that book, their, their minds are almost melted to these wall-sized TVs and how yeah. the, the idea of personal interaction and traditional learning and entertainment um, is now by the wayside. Um, and like you said, you kind of really see that with Twitter and Facebook, especially now that we're all, you know, stuck at home trying to stay involved in whatever's happening. Yeah, man. Yeah. I have had to and I've kind of flit off and on with this, but I'm almost on a total news fast. Like I just don't, I just, I don't consume the news and it's not cause it's not valuable. Like I do get value from it, but the value versus my time investment and just how it clutters my brain and, and, I, and I, you know, end up down news of the weird rabbit trails. I just like, I have to, I just have to be like, I just don't consume news anymore. So I'm on a news fast. <laughs> so what's going on? I don't know. <laughs> it could be a war for all I know. <laughs> I've been surprised listening to the podcast you have on DOD Reads. What are you reading? that so many of the military leaders on the podcast not only read, but often read some fiction as well. How has reading helped you in your own career? Yeah, it's, it's allowed me to, you know, back to Fahrenheit 451, it's allowed me to change my mind and be comfortable with changing my mind. And rather than making me more secure in my ideas, it's, it's, really, it's really allowed me to be much more flexible with my ideas. Um, it's, it's an idea from Socrates. He said, he said the only thing I know, I, it's the smartest man, it's the smartest man in ancient Greece, I think, uh, ancient Greece. <laughs> he said, the only thing that I know is that I don't know anything. It's like, wow, like so true. The more I read, the more I understand different people's perspectives the more I hold my perspective looser and the more I, I have an open mind with, with viewing different 
whether it's politics or different sides of the, or different, you know, people on different sides of the table, um, the, the more open mind I have to it. And it allows me to be, to be more receptive to other ideas that I may not initially, um, that I may not have initially had. So, so being more receptive and having an open mind and having the flexibility to consider other points of view is, is a direct relationship to, uh, to, to the reading that I've done. I'm not much of a reader, but I definitely think that society as a whole could use more of that and more flexibility in terms of means and willingness to understand other people's points of view. Because like you said on the media, there's so many people who are either one-sided or, or the media is kind of distorts your hope in humanity. And a lot of it, I feel like, results from stubbornness in ideas and a lack of willingness to understand other people. And I think that's where a lot of society has a lot of its issues nowadays. So I, I definitely think, though I'm not a reader and can't really attest to reading, developing that skill, I definitely think that's something in society that is lost. Maybe that's because of a, the a lack of reading in my generation and everyone focusing on social media. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we could spend, we could spend all day and months and months and years on that. It's really unfortunate, incredibly unfortunate. But what I see is that anybody is that there's a perspective. Again, this is from a guy that supposedly on a news fast. Yeah. So there's a perspective that anybody that doesn't see things that the way that I see it, well, they're just an idiot. Or they're just dumb. And they just need to pull their head out of their tail. You know, like what's, you know, the biggest, the biggest problem in, take us to Missouri. Well, you know, if the governor, if the governor would only just do this, everything would be fixed. If the president only just did this, everything would be, if, if we only just, you know, you're, if whatever, if my boss only just changed one thing, then all this would be fixed. If in the Navy, if they just did this one thing, baloney, baloney. These are such complex issues. Take any political issue, take gun control, whatever. Pick an issue, take police, policing in inner cities, whatever issue. These are such, such complex issues. And these are such complex systems that if you think that only one thing, oh, if I just did if I change from this to this, that you can make them better. Like you are, <laughs> you are absolutely joking. You're, you're, you're absolutely kidding yourself. And, and I, I don't know where we've, where we've gotten to that point, but not being able to recognize how complex the systems that we have are is, is certainly, is certainly a, a failure of our society right now because things are tough and, and there's not just a one flip switch that just would, would fix your issue of the day. As you read in more depth, over time you can develop an intuition for acquiring information, maybe giving you a unique perspective on how to solve a problem or think about something. Perhaps you can even simplify or at least reduce the complexities of something by reading. Do you think of reading as a way to simplify and or build bridges and how to think about the world? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's a, that's a general Mattis talks about that all the time. He, he has got a couple quotes that says, you know, I've never been flat footed, caught flat footed in a situation because I've always, I've always had reading to at least help illuminate my way. And, 
and as every situation is different, yeah, every situation is different, but man, the way that we think now is the same way we think in the Peloponnesian war. Like, we're, like we're doing like by, by knowing that history, by knowing the failures that, you know, the, the Greeks had that the, you know, Afghans with the, with the Russians had, um, all of those previous conflicts by, by understanding that we're able to open up our apt, uh, we're able to open up our eyes and, 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 and see different ways through the current issue that we have. So yes, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. That re- reading and having the basis, you know, I, I don't know if it can simplify things. Sometimes it makes it more, more complicated, but it can help illuminate the path forward. It can give you maybe different options that you haven't thought about. It can tell you that, you know what, you're not the first person in this military, in, in the military, to come up with insurmountable odds. And here are some ways that people have dealt with it in the past. The Spartans in 300, they fought and they all died. Some other people ran away. Some other people fought a little bit and some ran away and this happened and that happened. So, here, so there's, right there, there's you know, four ways that we could deal with this. And here are the consequences for it. Okay. Now let's add it to our situation and let's move forward. So. So Nathaniel mentioned earlier the podcast associated with DOD Reads, and that's what are you reading right now? So we'll ask you, what are you reading right now? Yeah, uh, good, good question. I just, just put my book away. I'm getting ready to read the, um, uh, the Strategic Air Command's Strategic Air Command, the history and leadership of the Strategic Air Command. So it's a Naval Institute book. I just blanked out on the title. Should have <laughs> should have had that uh, ready for you. But it goes through the time. Always at War is the is the title of the book, and it goes through the uh, Strategic Air Command's uh, inception and then their their leadership and their their how they built that Strategic Air Command to always be basically at war, always have aircraft in the air with nuclear weapons on it, ready to attack the Russians in the event that, uh, you know, in, in the event that it was called upon. So, man, what, what, what a mindset to go through your, your entire command or your, your entire 15-year period and always have that mindset of, I am taking off. I'm taking off with my B-52 loaded with nuclear weapons, ready to go at any moment, in the air, ready to go at any moment. It's a mindset I've never had. When I'm, when I'm back home and not underway, not in Iraq, not in Afghanistan, I'm, I'm home. I have to think about that. These bomber pilots did. Always at war. History of the Strategic Air Command. That is awesome. You brought up an interesting point about the continual presence of the U.S. military around the world and our forward deployed troops. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on sacrifice and what it has meant to you to serve in the Navy. Yeah. Yeah. As I get, as I spend more and more time in the Navy and as I do more and more reading, I've kind of narrowed it down for three reasons for why 
I philosopher, well, philosophers have narrowed it down to really three reasons on why people live. Like what, what does man live for? Why do we get up and get out of bed and go do something? And the first philosopher was Adler. And he said, well, clearly the reason mankind does work, gets out of bed and lives is for power. Like why else, why else would you do this? You want to be powerful. You want to have money. You want to have women. You want to have cars. You want to have a good house. Like you, you want to have people under you. You want to have power. That's why men live for power. And I like power. Like that's, that's great. It's good to have power and all the things that power can, can get you. Then another philosopher came up and was, his name was Freud. He said, nah, power is good. But really the reason men want power is so that they can have pleasure. That's why men live for pleasure. I'm going to go hang out at a beach, eat peeled grapes. All the, all the trappings associated with pleasure. But that's really the reason people live for pleasure. And I mean, pleasure is good too. I like pleasure, but doesn't really cut it at the end of the day. I mean, you can only lay on the beach and eat peeled grapes for so long. And third philosopher came around and he was a guy that barely made it out of a German concentration camp. His name was Viktor Frankl. He said, both of you are wrong. The, re the reason people live is for meaning so that they can have meaning in their life. And meaning can take a whole different, a whole many different can mean very different things for different people. It means service for some people, helping their family for other people, their community for other people. But meaning is why people live. And as I get older, spend more time in the Navy, am able to reflect more, I look at the power that I've gotten from the Navy, and that's been good. The pleasure that I've gotten, the money that I've gotten, that, that's been great. I've, I've, I've certainly enjoyed it but it is the meaning associated with my service, the meaning associated with helping other people, the meaning associated with the connections that I have, the meaning associated with what I am building that is, that is truly what is most meaningful to me and where I, where I place that service and where I'm most proud of my service. Not, not necessarily proud of all the awards I got. I'm proud of the people that I was able to help. I'm proud of what I've done for others. So that's what, that's, that's my definition, my long-winded definition of, of service, service through meaning. That's amazing. And I think people can derive their own sense of meaning from what Adler said about power and what Freud said about pleasure. But it really does all come back to that idea of meaning. And I think on this podcast, the guests that we've had all derive their meaning from service and giving back yeah. in the way that you one word that we use on our podcast in the name is valor and we find that a lot of the people on our podcast probably all of them have valor in their own ways so what does valor mean to you yeah i would i would really closely tie valor with meaning you know there's there's of course the combat version of valor and there's a lot of awards that have the name valor in them but, but that's only one small scope of it. And, and quite frankly, a lot of the folks in the military, including myself, have, have not had significant 
and major and what you it's typical typical combat experience and so how you know how do those how do those people derive meaning or derive that of valor without you know a typical what you would envision as a world war ii type combat experience so so yeah i would i would tie that i would tie the valor valor to me would be that you've done something meaningful that you've helped other people and that you've added val val value value valor of meaning We'll have to open up our books. Valor and value may be, may be closely related in the, uh, <laughs> in, the, uh, in, the, in the English language. Great. When talking about leadership, something that often comes up is adding value for other people or helping others. How do you see leadership tying into that? Do you have a personal leadership philosophy? Yeah, I, I do. And it's, it's really surrounded. It's, it's really it's really by allowing people to become the best version of themselves. So a lot of, um, a lot of discussions that I have with, with individuals is with junior officers and maybe they're thinking of getting out, maybe they want to stay in, they're not so sure, they want to do this job, not do this job. So, so rather, than, rather than putting them in my mold, the mold that I think would be best for them, I really try to look at how can they become the absolute best, best version of themselves. And, and maybe that means that they get out of the military and they go become a fine, outstanding American working at Ford Motor Company. That's, that's the best version that they can make of themselves. Maybe that means that instead of following a due course pathway where they become a senior enlisted or whether they become a, a commanding officer of a, of a ship, Maybe they're just really good at technology and they just want to be a mid-career leader fixing computers. And that, is what, and that is the best version of themselves. Great. I want to enable you to become the best version of, of yourself. Um, you know, I'm a dad to two little boys. One of the boys, like I can see, would probably be pretty good in the military. He's kind of like me. He's kind of, you know, uh, you know a rule follower, you know, a... Uh, you know, kind of like me, good, good military, good military guy. The other, like I can see would, would be like a perfect artist. Like he is just that type of, he's got, he's super crafty, really likes art. And, you know, I, as a dad can say, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a military guy. So you know, my sons, my sons are going to be in the military. I'm a lawyer. My sons are going to be lawyers. Yeah. Like that's the, that's probably the best way just to ruin them and just foul him up for all of, all of their life. Is to, is to jam somebody that needs, should be an artist or could be an artist or would be an exceptional artist, the next Monet, and jam them into a mold of being a military officer and end up just being a crummy military officer and somebody that he never, never wanted to be. Yeah, there's many, you know, many stories of, of famous people whose dads wanted them to follow in their footsteps and be a doctor, a lawyer, or what, whatever. Martin Luther was, was one of them. He, uh, he actually he told his parents he was going to go to uh, go be a doctor and ran off and joined the seminary and didn't tell his dad that he uh, graduated from seminary until graduation day. That that was an awkward conversation. <laughs> so uh, finding, uh, finding what somebody is good at, what somebody can excel at and what, and, 
and what they can do to be the best version of themselves is, uh, is my perspective on leadership. We're grateful to be able to share your message with listeners. And, you know, as I interrupt you on this, that, that may mean that in your leadership organization, maybe they're not a good fit. I'm an explosive ordinance disposal officer. Maybe this individual got into that community and is not a good fit. It doesn't mean he's a crummy individual. It doesn't mean we need to kick him out of the military. No, they're a good fit somewhere. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe somehow they found themselves in what I mean, their, their dad wanted him to be a military officer. And they're just, it's just not a good fit. Well, it, it is our responsibility as a leader is to find out where they would be the good fit. And if we can keep them in our organization and it matches up, okay, great. Let's keep them in the organization. It'll be a good, a good fit in that, in, that, in, in that new job in the organization. Maybe it means it's not. And that means you as a leader better get on the phone and make some phone calls with your peers and figure out which other organization they can go to so that they can be successful. And, and that's, that's critical for that individual's self-esteem and that individual's success, critical for their family's success, and for the military success. We don't, we don't do anybody any, any services when we jam somebody in the wrong, when we've got the wrong fill, the wrong fit for an individual. Well, we spoke with Terry Spain, who is a chief petty officer in the Navy, who does a lot with leadership. And we talked to him about his experience in leadership. One of the things that came up is that the hard part about leadership is that humans are also dynamic, which makes the concept of leadership so dynamic. How did you overcome some of those obstacles when situations changed with people, with you as their leader? I first had to understand them and understand their desires and understand what gives meaning and value to them. Because if I can't, if I can't start from that point, then then whatever I try to do, however I try to lead them, however I try to influence them, is, is not going to be successful if I'm missing the mark. So, for example, there's a book called, uh, called The Five Love Languages. It's a relationship book, and it's how to love your spouse for the most part. But the point of it is, is that there's five languages that we use for showing a affection, showing good, giving good jobs. It can be gifts. It can be time spent. It can be attention. There, there's a couple other, it can be acts of, acts of service. If, if I have somebody that I'm trying to influence and lead and they don't care anything about gifts, I'm always giving them gifts. Like, Hey, good job. Here's, here's a candy bar. Hey, here, good job. Here's some flowers on your desk. Hey, good job. Here's, here's a, a whatever. And they don't care anything about gifts. That's not speaking their language. I don't, I clearly don't understand that person. Maybe that person, what they really need is a little bit of extra money so that they can go help support their family. Or maybe they don't care about gifts. Like me, I'm not really a gift guy. But man, I sure like words of encouragement. Encouraging words is something that really speaks to me. So finding what speaks to them and finding what derives them is critical in in, in, in leading them, in working with them, and, and enjoying that relationship. It also, it also has to be, and you see this, you see this less in the military, because in the military you kind of you're forced to do, do your job, is, is making sure that the relationship that you have with the individual is a mutually beneficial relationship. 
if only one person is getting all the value, the boss is getting all the value and he's just slave driving the guys, then they're not going to, no one is going to want to stay in that position. You're going to give minimal effort and you're going to try to get out when you can. But if it's a mutually beneficial relationship, the boss is mentoring and helping develop and providing input when he can and developing those individuals. And they in turn are reciprocating by trying to do good work for the boss. Then you've got a healthy dynamic, a, a, a healthy dynamic. And, and, and that is all that is equally critical in any type of relationship, military or not paid or not. You've got to have that healthy dynamic of a mutually beneficial relationship. We also spoke with a minor league baseball player named Luke Gillingham, who went to the United States Naval Academy and graduated. And then he went and served for about a year and a half to two years, I believe. Um, and now he's in minor league baseball. Uh, we asked him something because right after the Navy, you become a second lieutenant, I believe, from the Naval Academy. You do. It's either an ensign if you're in the Navy or if you go into the Marine Corps, you'd be a second lieutenant. Okay. You get put into a position of leadership right at a young age of, you know, 22, 23. Yeah. Did you face any challenges when you left the Naval Academy at such a young age trying to lead other people who might even be older than you? Yeah, I did. And uh, certainly experienced some failures through that. One of my, one of my first ones, and, and every, you know, everybody's got their perspective on leadership. Everybody kind of tells you, well, when you get to a ship, you need to, you need to do this, you need to do that. That's, a, that's important, but it has to be tailored to the individual. So one, one issue that I had was that I didn't want to lead. I kind of wanted just to get consensus. And then just, if everybody was on the same page, kind of go in, go in that direction. And that bit me pretty hard when I was an EOD uh, officer in charge. And so we'd have EOD problems and I would want to get consensus, pretty full consensus with the team and really get their input before going off in a direction. And that's, that's okay. Getting consensus is not bad. However, when it causes you to slow down, when it causes you to not make decisions, when it causes you to not be able to act swiftly and deliberately, especially when there is an EOD problem, a ticking time bomb, if you will, then, then that hinders you. I remember a guy named Jeremy Baker, and he just, he's a good guy. He probably just had enough of Lieutenant Laney at the time. He's like, sir, you're smart enough. You've been trained. You're smart enough to make these decisions. You are equipped. You're trained. You're a good guy. You're smart enough to make these decisions. Lead the team. Tell us what to do. And we'll be able to execute so much faster and so much better than if you had dillied around, tried to get everybody's opinion, and then made a decision. Make the decision and let's go. That was a good that was, a good, uh, <laughs> that was a good point of learning for me. Was there a piece of advice you received, maybe something you read now that you're a reader? Was there any advice that has stuck out to you? You know, one thing that, that was probably the best idea that I received is the idea of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. There's a book, it's called Mindset, and I just blanked out on the author. I'll give it to you after, right after the podcast. You can put in the notes, but you don't really even need to read the book. There's an infograph that tells you everything you need to know. And basically it has 
two individuals. One has a fixed mindset, one has a growth mindset. When an individual that gets new information that has a fixed mindset, they say, oh, this is new information. I don't need to know this. This is not important. This conflicts with the information I already have, so I'm going to spit it out. Individual with a growth mindset says, oh, this is interesting. I'll incorporate it into my mind. I'll try to think about it and try to wrestle with it. Then individual with a fixed mindset, when that individual makes a mistake, they say, ah, this wasn't my fault. That other guy's fault. Ah, he set me up for failure. Ah, anybody would make the mistake. So I'm not going to learn from this mistake. Not my, I couldn't have done anything better. Person with a growth mindset says, oh, you know what? I made a mistake. I really fouled up on that. What can I learn from that mistake? Person with fixed mindset, they see somebody else being successful. And they say, man, that person was lucky. If I only had those skills, I would have done that. Person with a growth mindset says, man, they, they did pretty well with that podcast. They're, they're doing pretty well. What can I learn from this team and maybe do my own podcast? And if you have a fixed mindset or growth mindset after a year, six months, probably not, you're probably not going to see a whole lot of difference in an individual. But after 10 years, 20 years, and a lifetime of having either a fixed mindset or a growth mindset, you will have two completely different people. One that can, just like reading, one that continues to grow through their entire life and continues to learn and continues to get better through their entire life. The other one just is stagnant through their entire life. And man, once you, once you recognize that and you give somebody some feedback and they either say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, man, that's some interesting feedback. I hadn't thought of it before. Or they say, ah, what's, what's Laney know? He doesn't know anything. You can, you, it is so clear. Like you see it everywhere you look. A mindset by Carol uh, uh, Dwideck. Mindset by Carol Dwideck. And you can read the book or just Google the infograph. It's a great infograph and it's, I have it on my wallet in my office. This has been a great conversation today on reading, learning, leadership, service as meaning, and having a growth mindset. Is there anything else you'd like to add in conclusion? Yeah, man. It's you know I really appreciate I really appreciate what you're doing. There's a uh, there's a saying it's called your network equals your net worth, and man, I I. It totally resonates with what I'm doing right now with, with DOD Reads. Uh, when I started, I started trying to do a lot of, of the work myself. And as I've expanded, I'm really focused on building a network. And I see that's what you guys are doing. I mean, you, you reached out to me. You're, you're, you're building your network. And this relationship that we have is, is going to be long-term. So when you need something in five years or I need something in five years and we do a podcast collaboration or whatever that may be, like, the worth that you have is directly related to the network that you have. And I really appreciate uh, being part of your network and uh, being, uh, uh, being able to interact and, uh, and be part of what you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to the American Valor Podcast. You can engage with John Laney in the content of DOD Reads at dodreads.com. You can find all of the references in today's conversation in the links below. Please join us next time for another conversation on leadership with retired command senior enlisted leader from the United States Navy, Mr. Enrique Acosta Gonzalez. 
for Tyler Buckholtz and the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation. My name is Nathaniel Cameron, and this has been the American Valor Podcast. <laughs>